Well, good morning, everyone. So glad you are here. If this is your first time, welcome. We are just privileged and honored that you would join us this morning. Man, as we were singing that song, I was thinking this truly is the anthem of Christianity. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. If we really ponder that, if we really think upon that, it just displays the mighty, loving, powerful love of an endearing God. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here is to celebrate that Jesus has come to set us free. So glad you're here. I just want to give a quick welcome and thank you to First Baptist Lake Jackson. They are filling the side rows over here. Uh, we are so thankful that you guys are here, that you would give of your time to come put on this sports camp this week. Seriously, it's amazing. And I have no doubt that every kid that walks on this place this week is going to be incredibly blessed by your faithfulness, your obedience. And we're praying that God does incredible things through what you guys have come to offer. So thank you for being here. Seriously, can we give them a, just a round of applause? Like, they didn't need to do that. So as Tyler said, this fall we're going to do an event called Beast Feast. We have rented the expo building at the fairgrounds, and we've already had um, a friend of mine who started a gun company. He's donating a folding AR-15. We have a Mystery Ranch backpack that's been donated. We have some Mountain Tough Fitness programs that have been donated. We have a quarter of a beef that has been donated, and we're just trusting that God's going to give some incredible prizes to get lost people in the door to hear the gospel. This culture is all about hunting, fishing, outdoors, and we want to reach men where they're at. Women, I love you guys, truly, but this event is for men because we really know that if you can get men in a group together away from their spouse or their girlfriend or whatever, they kind of become less manly, if you know what I mean, and they kind of break down a little bit. And that's really where we want them because studies have shown all over the place that if you can reach the man, you will reach the home. And so all that to say is the prizes are amazing, but the most amazing thing is my mentor, uh, his name is Bob Record. He used to preach and do stuff with Promise Keepers. He's traveled all over the country doing stuff with men. He is coming to present the gospel, and that is what God has gifted him in, is reaching men. And so if you'll invite lost men to this thing, I mean, there's a chance to win some amazing prizes. That's great. But the most important thing is the gospel, and that's what we're going after. So one more thing, if you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. But it's so great to be back with you guys. I was gone last week, we had our little boy, little Asher Davis Taylor, I think we have a picture of him, so Caroline and him are at home, they're going to try to stop by for the barbecue, but she didn't get a lot of sleep last night, I guess, and so she's going to come by later, but there's our little man, bright-eyed and ready to roll. So, so glad to be back with you guys. Marcus did an amazing job last week. Um, yeah, right? But I genuinely, I miss being with you guys. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are true. God, I know that there's people in this room that are hurting. God, I know there's people in this room that are confused, people in this room that maybe have no control over a life situation that is happening before them, God, and they feel like their life is spiraling out of control. And the more they try to control it, the more they try to clamp down, 
the more fearful they become, the more afraid they become of losing control. And so, God, I pray this morning as we open your word that you would reveal to us that you are in complete and utter control, and really you are calling us to release control to you so that you can do incredible things. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that your word would go forth with power. If there's anything on my lips that are of my flesh, would you mute it and replace it with your spirit, God? For if you do not move in this place, we are sunk and all is null, void, and vain. So God, do what only you can do in this place. We're expecting you to move with power. If there's someone in this place that does not know you, that has never been saved, God, draw them to yourself and set them free as they see the power of a loving and a great king. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So I don't know about you guys, but often there are things in life that start to spiral out of control. And the more that I have tried to control them, the more that fear has begun to creep in that when I lose control, everything is going to fall apart. And the first thing I do is begin to serve that which I fear. I mean, I, it could be anything. It could be you have lost a family member. It could be that something in your business is going on or your family or there's some friend that is just something is spiraling out of control and you're like, man, I just wish I could control it. I wish I could manage it. And the more you try to manage it, the more you realize that you cannot. And the more you try to control it, the more subconsciously you give yourself to it and you almost begin to fear that which you are trying to control. What we're going to see this morning is that God has called us to be a people that will just surrender. That will surrender everything and say, God, I don't know what's going on. My life is spiraling out of control, but I trust that you're good. I trust that you're faithful, and I trust that you know what is going on. See, essentially, we serve that which we fear. So the question this morning as we launch in is, what are you trying to control or what do you fear. And here's what we're going to see this morning, is that one, God is in control, and two, a healthy fear of the Lord enables us to surrender control. And that's when he begins to move. John chapter 19, if you have your Bible, starting in verse 1, says this, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Before we go any further, I think there's some things in scripture that we kind of just read and bypass, like, oh, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and, yeah, and, and we just like, okay, we got it, but do we really? See, flogging was an intense form of punishment, and there was actually three different types of floggings. There's three different Greek words that are used for flogging. The first was really a less severe beating for a relatively light offense. So if someone did something mild, they would get just a light beating. The second one was brutal beatings, and these were given to criminals whose offenses were a little more serious. But the flogging here that John is discussing is the third type, and it was the most terrible, the most horrific form of beating that any man or woman could have. See, the victim was stripped, he was tied to a post and beaten by several torturers, mostly soldiers, and he was beaten until they, the soldiers were either called off or the soldiers became so exhausted that they could no longer function. For victims like Jesus, who were neither a Roman citizen nor a soldier, they favored the flagrum. 
The plagrum was basically a whip of leather cords tied to a stick with pieces of bone or metal or flint or anything that would just rip into the flesh and tear it apart. Often it was so brutal that people that came under this form of flogging did not even make it to crucifixion. They died before they made it to the cross. So here's Jesus, the king of heaven, the God of love who is being flogged, beaten ruthlessly, about to go to the cross. Verse 2, and then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. This crown of thorns most likely was from the date palm which the thorns could be up to 12 inches long, and they would shove them in. When they got shoved in, if the tip broke off, it would release this kind of poison that would inflame the muscle and actually create this massive hematoma within whoever it pricks. So the flesh would begin to swell, the muscles would begin to tense. It wasn't just this crown of thorns that was placed upon the king's head. It was literally jammed into his flesh, and it had to produce extreme and utter This purple robe was probably a military cloak that the soldiers took and just flung over him to mock him and dressed him up to look like a king. So here's Jesus being severely beaten, a crown with probably some 12-inch thorns breaking off of the tip shoved into his skull, a purple robe placed upon his back. And we know from other gospel accounts that, that many of the men were at, would bow down before him and say, oh, hail King Jesus, oh, let me bow before you, my king, and then stand up and slap him in the face. And the whole time, Jesus is not retaliating. The whole time Jesus is just standing there knowing that this is the reason he came. This was prophesied of 700 years prior prior in Isaiah 50, verse 6. It says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus is entering into exactly the Father's will for his life. For what? To set us free to reveal his love to creation. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. See, Pilate knew, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that the Jews were able to release one criminal a year, and before, as we saw last week, they wanted Barabbas, a murderer. And so Pilate may have been bringing him back because Pilate found no guilt in him. We know that Pilate was not a Jew. He really didn't care about whatever the Jews cared about in their law. So he was a Gentile, and he didn't really care about releasing a Jew according to their law. So Pilate is saying he's not guilty. I find no guilt in him. So he may have brought him back to flog him. We don't know. But to really present Jesus in this weak and frail state to say, this is the king of the Jews. This is who you want me to crucify. Look, the man can't hardly even stand anymore. Behold, here's the man. Here's the man that you call a king. Can you not see that he's harmless? Can you not see that he's weak? And you want Barabbas, a murderer? Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself 
the Son of God. What was the law? We saw that in Leviticus 24, verse 16, which says this, whoever whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. See, we don't know what made Pilate afraid here, as we see in verse 8, for when Pilate made the statement, he was even more afraid, but it probably was not Jesus. Probably what made Pilate afraid was an uprising of Jews that were coming against him that said, if you don't crucify him, we're coming after you. We saw a few weeks ago that Pilate was this weak, moral man who really did not have a spine, so he was probably afraid because the more he said that Jesus was not guilty, the more the Jews rose up to try to come against Pilate, and we know any man of pride does not like to be viewed in a weak light. We don't know, but that could have been why he was afraid. Verse 10, but Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know, and don't miss this, do you not know that I have authority, Pilate says, to release you and authority to crucify you? What does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is saying, hey, Pilate, you think you have all this control over me? You think you have all this authority? You have none unless it was granted to you from heaven above. And how humiliating for Pilate, a man who was supposed to be on the throne, this high-powered man. And Jesus actually says, in fact, Pilate, you have so little authority over me that Caiaphas actually has more authority because he's the one that brought me to you. You're pretty much just in the way of my plan for redemption. All of a sudden, Pilate had to been thinking, man, I'm really not a big deal. Jesus says, he who turned me over has the greater sin. I'm saying he has no guilt, but he's standing here, and he who has no guilt was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest, the one who was supposed to represent the heart of God. He was the one that turned him over to Pilate, and now Pilate is in the way of Jesus going to the cross. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, And don't miss this, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is one of those things it's very easy to read over and say, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) See, what they are saying is, hey, Pilate, if you don't crucify Jesus, you're not just against us, you're also against Caesar, who is essentially your boss. You know what Caesar does to people who come against him? He punishes them ferociously, and he is relentless in his punishment. So here is Pilate, all that to say this. He is saying that Jesus is not guilty. He does not want to prosecute him. Yet the Jews are coming against him, and now they're saying Caesar will come against him. So Pilate, don't miss this, is beginning to have an incredible fear of man. He's fearing the Jews, he's fearing Caesar, and his fear of man is what now is going to determine his decision to send Jesus to the cross. Verse 13, so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place they called the stone pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. 
We know from Matthew 27 and that Pilate's wife warned him, do not have anything to do with Jesus. He is innocent. I, he, I had a dream. Matthew 27, 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they were delivering him up, who the Jews were delivering him up out of envy. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, right where we're at in this part of the story, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. If there's one thing I've learned, it's listen to your wife. <laughs> right? Caroline usually knows better than I. And whenever I don't listen, I'm usually the one that ends up in the wrong spot. Pilate should have listened to his wife. His wife said, hey, don't prosecute this man. I've had a dream that he is innocent. I've had a dream. Don't have anything to do with him. But Pilate obviously didn't know happy wife, happy life because he gave him over to be crucified. So here's Pilate. Even his wife is warning him not to, and he turns him over, verse 14. And this part right here is incredible, and then we're going to apply it. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, so about noon. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? Which would have riled the Jews up even more, the fact that Pilate was calling Jesus their king because they already hated it enough. And it's almost like he's just rubbing it in. Pilate's not claiming that Jesus is his king. But the king of the Jews, the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over there to be crucified. Don't miss this because this is powerful. John says it was the day of preparation for the Passover. On the day of preparation for the Passover was the time that they would slaughter lambs to offer as a sacrifice to celebrate God bringing them out of Egypt and setting them free. On the day they're slaughtering lambs to celebrate their freedom, they are sending the Lamb of God to be slaughtered on the exact same day. How ironic. They're celebrating how God had removed them as they wiped the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and God spared their firstborn and did not kill them. They're getting ready, they're preparing to celebrate that by slaughtering lambs while they're sending the lamb of God to the slaughterhouse to the cross on the very same day. The same God. The God that they were celebrating their liberty, that he gave them liberty, they're now crucifying him and they don't even know it. They have no idea. Matthew 27, 24 through 25 says this, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, right? The Jews were beginning to riot. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd. And he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And then he says this, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. They're preparing to celebrate how the blood of the lamb spared their children, and now they're asking that the blood of the lamb be on the hands of them and their children, and they don't even know. Yet Jesus, in his compassion and in his mercy and in his plan, continues to go to the cross. So what do we see from this text? There's a couple things, and the first thing I think we see here is this. 
as we saw it in verse 11, that we are not in control. I know sometimes we like to think we are, but we're not. God is in control. If you're anything like me, you like to be in control of your life or your time or your resources or maybe the other people around you or a life situation that is spot. You want to be in control of that. Whatever it may be, we like to say, it's okay. I've got everything under control. It's human nature, right? With control, we feel some sort of importance or power, and that's exactly what Pilate felt. He felt like if he was in control of Jesus' destiny, he had this importance, he had this power, and then Jesus kindly reminds him the only authority he has is a result of being given it from above. The only authority he has. Any platform you have been given this morning, whether it's a business, whether it's uh, raising your children, whether it's some financial asset, whether it's uh, you're the boss of someone or your position at work, whatever platform God has given you, may I remind you that you have not earned it or gained it yourself. It has been given to you. You are not in control of your own life. That doesn't mean we don't have responsibility, but God is in control. You are not. He is sovereign. You know, one of the most dangerous things about preaching is to stand up here on this platform and think that, oh, well, I've been, I've earned all of this. This, I'm entitled to this. I've worked my tail off. I've gone to seminary, all this blah, 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 white noise. And you know why most pastors fall? Because they think they're in control of their church. They're in control of their destiny. They're in control of everything. Newsflash, we are not. I promise you, the moment that I think that I'm in control up here, this thing crumbles. It either crumbles or it produces something that does not produce fruit. See, we are not in control. And we need to be reminded of that. This does not mean we do not have responsibility, right? Or we sit around and say, I don't have to do anything because I can't control it anyway. In fact... I'm just going to wait on my next stimulus check, and I'm going to sit in my closet and pray, and whenever God decides it's time for me to get a job, he's in control, then he'll lay it in my lap. That's not the case. God has called us to be proactive. He has called us to work with our hands. He has called us to be diligent. He has called us to do these things. The difference is we are to respond. The result is up to him. And when we try to cling so tightly to the things that we love, as we're going to see in a second, we will begin to fear them. And when we fear man, we are not fearing the God of heaven. See, we tend to think that God is a part of our plan. That's what Pilate thought. But God is saying, uh, you're actually a part of my plan. And my plan is so much greater and it would blow your mind and you would have no idea if you would just release control and let me do my thing. But instead, you're trying to choke hold it and you're not letting it go and you think your dreams and your plans and your purposes are what I'm calling you to. It may or may not be, but if you just choke hold it, you're never going to see what I want to do. Because I'm in control. You 
or not. It's been said before, you want to hear God laugh? <laughs> Tell him the plans for your life. <laughs> I testify, amen, true. God turns out you know right, I know wrong, right? <laughs> I am not right, you are right every time, it's true. Proverbs 16:9. the heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. See, one of the most dangerous places in life to be is thinking that you are in control and you are in control of your own destiny. Thinking you know best, why? Because this swells pride and you begin to tell God how you fit into his plan, thinking that you have all the authority. And if we continue in that long enough, God can sometimes give us over to that thinking. Romans 1, 24 through 25, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served what? The creature or man rather than the creator who, blessed, who is blessed forever. Amen. And then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their debased mind to do what ought not to be done. But here's the joy, here's the amazing part. As a believer, we surrender control. God, here's my life, take it. You're in control, not me. As for my plans, they're yours. Direct my steps, God. God, I thought I knew what was best, but I realize I don't, and you do. God, here's my life. I surrender it to you and your authority and not my own. See, hear this. You will never see God do the things you long to see him do until you release control and trust that he is in control. And you know what happens when you release control and quit trying to make things happen? Things begin to happen. I've shared a little bit about this before, but before Caroline and I moved back here, we were in this place of just complete confusion. We were, had no control over anything. Life was spiraling out of control as far as what we thought our plans were. And so we moved back here. And this is what I told her when we moved back. I said, we're going to sit here and we're not going to do anything until God makes it very clear what he has. Because I am very capable of pushing open doors. I've pushed open a lot. So as we sat here and we turned down opportunities that were in ministry that we thought could be great, but we didn't have peace, we just sat and waited. And one day I got a phone call from the president of a seminary and he wanted me to come visit. And the next thing I know, he offered me a full ride to seminary, all expenses paid for as long as I wanted to be there. But here's the point of all of that. If I would have tried to chokehold everything and say, no, God, I know best. I'm going to take this job at this church because I'm tired of what I'm doing. So I'm just going to take it because I can control that. I can control what I'm doing. I can control my life. I may never have seen the hand of God move in such a mighty and powerful way because I was too busy trying to control my life rather than surrendering my life. It's a huge difference. It doesn't matter what it is, where you're at this morning. What are you trying to control? What are you refusing to let go of? Maybe it's a dream you've had for 35 years. And maybe it's from God and maybe it's not. But just be faithful, be obedient to do what God has called you today. That is how you release control. Say, God, it may not make sense, but I'm going to release, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be faithful. See, his plans are always different. 
but oh, so much sweeter and so much better and so much more fulfilling. If you will just surrender and trust him with your life, trust him that he is good and say, God, I'm trying, I'm tired of controlling my own destiny. God, I'm giving it to you. Do with it what you will. The second thing we see is this, we will serve that which we fear. And this goes hand in hand with control. See, Pilate did his decision to prosecute Jesus, although it was within the sovereignty of God, I understand that. So before I get an email that says, well, Luke, you said God was sovereign, and, but then you said that you'll fear, well, God was pushing Pilate to do that. Well, God is sovereign, but Pilate also made the decision to turn Jesus over to be crucified. And the reason he turned him over to be crucified was because he had a greater fear of the Jews and Caesar than he did Jesus. If he would have feared Jesus, he would never would have sent him to be crucified. See, if we fear man, we will serve man. If we fear money or fear not having enough money, we will serve money. If we fear our financial security, we will serve our financial security. And you know how that looks like? The American dream. I spend my entire life saving and working my tail off, not serving, not loving my neighbor because I'm so tunnel visioned on what God is calling. He, I, I need to make more money because if I don't make more money, when I get to the end of my life, I'll run out of money and I won't have enough money for my fishing boat and my rods and my truck and my third house and my youth. The list goes on and on and on. The reason that happens is because we fear financial security, we love it, we love the control of it. And God is saying there is so much more. You don't believe me? Open up the paper, open up a, the internet, right? There are people that have more money than anyone could ever dream of having and they wanna end their life. See, we will fear that which we try to control. But if we'll fear God, we will serve God and watch as he provides for his people. God promises to provide for his people. But we try to control it all and have our whole plan set up from here until eternity. And God's saying, that's great, but you're actually missing a lot of what I've called you to do because you're too busy fearing your lack of security. You're too busy fearing man to where you can't even see what I want to do. You're missing out. If you will just surrender control and give me your life, watch as I blow your mind. Watch as I reveal myself so faithful that you can't even contain it. See, it's pretty easy to figure out who or what you're serving. Just look at who or what you fear. Do you fear not having enough money at the end of your life? You're serving money. You're fearing not having enough money. Do you fear maybe, I mean, I, the examples are endless. Just what do you fear? What are you giving yourself to? Whatever you give yourself to is what you fear. And it's the same with us. We often fear that which we can't control, death, sickness, the unknown risk, someone's response, maybe an upcoming conversation that you're planning on having, getting laid off or having more month than money. 
I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of scary things about planning a church. There's a whole lot of scary things about renting the expo building at the fairgrounds and trusting that God wants to partner with other churches in this valley, which, by the way, I did not mention. Uh, East Haven has already agreed to partner, and we're going after churches because we're trying to unite churches in this place for the sake of the gospel. This is not a veneration thing. It's a gospel thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's people are separated from a loving and a holy God, and they have no idea, and we're just so divided that we... We watch them do it. God wants to do something in this place. And he does it when his people unite. But there's tons of things that are scary about this. Tons of things that are completely out of our control. And I promise you this, if the fear of man is greater, you'll never step out in faith. But the moment we see who God is, the moment we see the faithfulness of God, the moment we see him do things that only he can do, it just strengthens our faith. And all of a sudden, the fear of man begins to decline, and all of a sudden, the fear of God begins to ascend and watch out gates of hell. Because when the people of God fear the God of heaven, the earth begins to shake, the darkness begins to tremble, and darkness vanishes as it is invaded with but we so often fear what man is going to do to us or what can man do to you. You've been purchased by the blood of the lamb. See, a fear of man that is greater than the fear of God is the surest way to miss the power of God. I'm going to say it again. A fear of man that is greater than the fear of God is the surest way to miss the power of God. See, if we don't fear the Lord, we cannot serve the Lord. Did you know that a fear of the Lord is mentioned over 300 times in Scripture? The problem is there's a great misunderstanding of what this means. And I hope you're asking, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because what I will tell you it does not mean is we're not running scared. We're not running like we would if we fear man. If you fear man, you run away from man. You run from the very thing that you fear because you don't want to confront it. You don't want to engage with it. A fear of the Lord is completely different. It's completely opposite. I love how John Piper puts it. He says this. This is a healthy fear of the Lord. In your heart and mind, God is so powerful, so holy and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from him, but only run to him. That's a fear of the Lord. We're not running scared like he's this angry guy in the sky that just wants to beat you over the head when you mess up. That's man. That's a fear of man. God is saying, I am so much bigger than you. I love you so much more than you can comprehend or understand. Run to me. That's a healthy fear of the Lord, that when everything is falling apart, the one way I want to go is I want to go to Jesus. I want to run to him with everything that I am because he is the one that sustains me. See, when we fear man, we will run from man. But when we fear the Lord, we run to him because we know that we're sunk without him. If you fear the Lord, you will run to him when your marriage is falling apart, when you get that dreaded diagnosis, when you lose a loved one and it makes no sense, you can't comprehend it, you run to him because you fear him. That's how you know if you fear him is if you run to him. 
lose your job or get dumped or the world's falling apart, but also when life is going well, when everything is falling into line and you feel like you have the world by the tail, you run to God. That's a healthy fear, is to run to him in the good and the bad. See, it's amazing because a fear of the Lord produces three things. One, in awe of his holiness. Two, a bold and audacious faith. And three, regret over sin. Produces it all. Because when you see God for who he is, his goodness, his loving kindness, the greatness of his majesty, you cannot help but see that. You cannot help but stand in awe of his holiness. You cannot help but be bold in your faith. And you cannot help but be regretful over your sin, knowing that your sin was what sent him to the cross. See, your sin and my sin, we were the ones that shoved the crown of thorns on his head. We were the ones that beat him in the back. We were the ones that threw the robe over his shoulders and mocked him. Yet God still, he looked at you with love in his eyes and said, Oh, son and daughter of the king, I have come to set you free if you will just believe. Just believe. And if we truly believe we have a healthy fear of the Lord, did you know it's impossible to serve God without faith? Hebrews 11.6. Impossible. God says it, not me. And you can't have faith without a fear of the Lord either. See, faith comes from this fear of the Lord when you run to him, when you see his goodness, when you see him on the throne, when you see him for who he is, you can't help but have faith. You can't help but love your neighbor. Why? Because you've encountered the king of glory. See, the fear of man cripples faith, but the fear of the Lord emboldens it. And oh, how I desire that we would be a people that have an accurate view of God, a healthy fear of God. Why? Because all of a sudden, we're going to look like a bunch of crazy people that are believing God for something so much bigger than anything that we can do on our own. And you know what happens when that happens? God gets the glory and not us. You know what happens when that happens? This valley begins to be transformed by the power of the gospel because we no longer fear man. Man, they can mock, they can scorn, they can, they can actually even get rid of me as a friend, whatever. Like, you're not, I don't fear you. I fear this God in heaven who loves me fiercely and wants you to know that he loves you too. See, we will serve that which we fear. The question is, who do you fear? Do you fear man or do you fear God? If you're always running from man and afraid to say something, you fear man. But when this scary thing comes and you look at man and you look at God and say, man, my fear of the Lord is so much greater that I'm going to run to him and whatever man has to offer, whatever. That is what God needs from his people if we are going to shake kingdom of darkness is a fear of almighty God that causes us to run to him and not from him. So here's the question. What are you believing God for this morning? I'm sure each and every person in this room is wanting to see God do something. 
Maybe it's save your kid. Maybe it's heal a family member who's sick. Maybe it's do something in your business, which is amazing. God gives people business minds to use it for the kingdom. It's amazing. Whatever it is, what are you believing God for? Maybe there's a dream on your heart that has not come to fruition yet. What are you believing him for? And ask the question, in that, am I fearing man or am I fearing God? Because if I fear God, I'm running to him. And if he changes my plans, so be it. But I'm just an empty vessel in the hands of the king, knowing that whatever he has is much greater than anything that I could ever plan. But what are you believing him for? And if you're not believing him for anything, you don't see God for how big and how powerful he is. Dream. Whatever, he's given you gifts, he's given you talents, he's given you passions that he wants you to use for the kingdom. Please dream with me. Dream big because he's a God who is big and wants to use what he has given you to bless those around you. Dream big. Run to Jesus and watch him do what only he can do. See, we will serve that which we fear. Psalm 118.6 says this. When you're dreaming, when you're believing, remember this. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Will you please believe God for something big in your life? Please, because there are people all around you in Texas, everywhere, that are depending upon it, that need you, that need someone to not fear man like the world fears, but to run to God and let him open up the heavens and do what only he can do. Believe him for something. Something big, something, and big doesn't always have to be numerical, just something of substance that only God can do. He wants to do it in you. See, God will do amazing things through a people that fear him, through a people that will serve him, things that your mind or mine cannot comprehend. And I don't know about you as we wrap up, but I would rather fear the one who defeated the grave, not those who sent Jesus to the grave. And man is the one who sent him to the grave. We are the one who sent him to the grave. We sent him there. But if we will trust that he is in control, the fear of man slowly begins to fade away even if it costs us something. And please hear this as we wrap up. God is in control even if it costs you something. Why? God was in control when it cost him his own son. Jesus said here, no authority is given to you unless it's from above. God sent his son Jesus to atone for sin, to set the captives free. And God was in complete control while doing that, yet it still cost him something. We are the opposite. If, it's gonna, if we are in control, we don't want to lose anything. That's why we love control. That's why we fear losing it, because we don't want to lose it. But in God's economy, in God's economy, when he is in control, it still is going to cost you something. But that's the beauty of the gospel. 
So don't think that he's not in control of your life when it costs you something or when your life seems like it's coming out of control. Life can be beautiful when it costs you something for it reminds you that you are not in control. And if life has never cost you anything since you've been walking this faith walk, you probably have not completely surrendered. Because as we lay down our life for the gospel, it will cost you something. But when it costs you something, God always replaces it with something better. Believe him. See, Jesus was beaten and flogged, if Marcus and Mary Claire want to come up, and sent to the cross on our behalf. It cost him everything. But it was for the redemption of mankind. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're in this place and you have been saved and you have known God for a very long time, yet there's just this, still this kind of fear of man, which is natural. I fear man all the time. Please don't hear like I'm standing up here saying, quit fearing man. I fear man all the time, and it squelches faith. But if you're in, if you've, if you've known God, I just ask that you would reflect upon what are you trying to control? What do you fear? And will you give that over to him, even if it costs you something, because it costs Jesus his life to set you free? And if you're in this room and you have never been saved, you don't even know who this Jesus guy is, maybe you've heard his name a few times, and you feel like your life is spiraling out of control, maybe you're confused, maybe you're just here because some situation happened or whatever, I want you to hear this. That God is so in control that you are not here by coincidence. You are not here by accident. You are here because God wanted to show you this morning that there is a king in heaven who has come to set you free. That even when your life feels like it's spiraling out of control and maybe you're scared to death of some circumstance in your life right now, Jesus is saying, just come to me. Believe that I am who I said I am. Believe that I paid for your sin. Believe I died on a cross. I was flogged and beaten. But then believe that I rose from the grave, defeating sin and death to give you life. And if you will just acknowledge that you are in a deep state of need, and you don't have to have all the answers. None of us do. But just say, Jesus, I don't even know what I need. All I need, all I know is that I need help and I cannot control my own life. He will set you free in a moment and I promise you this, it's not gonna be easy. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, well, I've seen a whole bunch of Christians and they live in fear and they're hypocrites and they're this and that and that and the other. To which I'd say, yes, that is often very valid. I am a hypocrite often. I run in fear often. The only difference is that I am no longer bound by sin. I have been set free. And all of life encompasses around this one thing, that God is true, that he is not a liar, that he is coming back. And if you are not for him, you are against him and you will be separated from him forever. But he has come to offer you life and life to the full right now in this moment. And while it's not easy and while it's going to cost you something, it's oh so worth it. You just have to come to him and believe.
God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are in complete and utter control, God. It gives me great hope, God, peace. The amazing thing about trusting that you're in control is we can have a peace that whatever the world throws at us, it is well with my soul. It is well because I serve the King of glory. God, I pray in this room, if there's someone that does not know you, that by the power of your spirit, you would draw them to yourself, that you would reveal your love for them, that you would set them free, that you would heal what is broken, that you would do what only you can do, God, because you are faithful. For us in this room that are holding tightly to something, whether it be a dream, whether it be something that we have been believing you for and it hasn't happened, whatever it is, God, I just pray in this room right now in this moment that we would be a bunch of people that release control, that we would no longer fear that which we're trying to control, but we would fear you and run to you and watch as you do everything else because you are good and you are faithful. God, make us a free people. They walk in freedom that you have given us, releasing control so that you might do in and through us things that we could not imagine nor dare to dream because we realize that it's not about us. It's all about you. Have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, begin to move with power and do the things only you can do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.